connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. What is AOC? What is community media? Maybe these are small questions, but they have big answers. So big, in fact, that we had to make a whole podcast about just that. The short answer is in our mission statement, building an informed and engaged community through media, technology, and education. This week on the podcast, we'll introduce you to Stephen Shannon, a.k.a. Skip Shannon, AOC's production coordinator. Uncle Eddie gives us a lesson on the difference between reporters and repeaters in this week's Uncle Eddie's Media Minute. Stephen Shannon, a.k.a. Skip, is an experienced editor and a consummate production professional. AOC is lucky enough to have Skip as a production coordinator ensuring that our gear is in working order and available for you to use in sharing your message. You can learn a little about Skip from this conversation, or you can come by the studio and take one of his classes to benefit from his production expertise. My name is Stephen Shanner. My preferred alias is Skip. How did Skip come to be your preferred alias? Skip came to be because it's my dad's nickname, and when I was in junior high, my health teacher knew my dad and had taught him back in the day and started calling me Skip, and then it just kind of stuck. Do you look a lot like your dad? or? Yeah, pretty much. So me and my brother more look like twins, even though we're three years apart. So Skip, so there's is there any significance to the Skip nickname, or is it just sort of a shortening of Stephen that not a lot of people know about? No, uh, I don't even know how he got it, to tell you the truth, because his real first name is Charles. Okay. So I have no idea how it came about, but <laughs> there you it go. came about somehow. <laughs> nice. Um, <clears throat> so where, you're not from here, you're not from Lafayette, Louisiana. No, I am And not. you're not from Louisiana, or even the South, you're not from the region. No. Where not. are you from? <laughs> I am from Charleston, West Virginia, up north. What is Charleston, what is Charleston, West Virginia like? It's kind of a small town. Uh, it's right down in the valley of uh, the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, weather is a lot different up there. A lot of hills, a lot of mountains. And the weather up there is, it can get pretty humid in the summer, but in the winter it gets extremely cold. Extremely cold. Like what? what is extremely cold? Uh, two weeks ago when I was talking to my parents, uh, they had like three or four inches of snow, and it was getting down to teen temperature or hanging around the 20s so that is pretty low <laughs> yeah uh, and lots and lots of snow uh sometimes it kind of goes on and off depends on the year okay. so sometimes you'll have almost none sometimes you have a lot just kind of depends on how the year's going and, and the weather this year was a lot you were showing us video of i think your brother was that from this year yeah that's this year that was like two weeks ago and he, he was snowing in his like mudding but snowing yeah in his he was truck. he was out four-wheeling in snow and <laughs> ice and everything he likes to do that type of thing and you've done that sort of thing yeah before yeah we grew up doing that type of thing nice. so that sounds like a blast 
It's pretty fun, except for when you get stuck, <laughs> and then you have to walk out. But even that's fun in its own way, right? It is. It ends up being fun in the long run. So, <laughs> um, what is your favorite pastime? Like music, film watching, video gaming? Uh, pretty much all those. When I was younger, and I lived in Charleston, uh, me and my group of friends up there, when we kind of late high school and early 20s we used to go to uh shows all the time in the state and in ohio and kentucky like music shows Mm -hmm. yeah we went to go see our favorite band which is uh the rx band it's out of california and got to meet them a couple different times we went to a couple of real big fish shows streetlight manifesto kind of a lot of ska music is what we used to go see what was your favorite show of all those shows Mm, that's kind of a toss-up between a couple. Uh, the first one would be as like a gift to ourselves for our senior year in high school. We convinced them to come to Charleston and play a really small venue, and got to hang out with all the band members. The second is uh, like six to eight months after that, we went to Ohio to see him, and it was a big deal because it was a big tour of all the bands like that, and somehow. I don't know how it happened, but I lost my ticket to the show as we were walking around Cincinnati and eating and everything before the show happened. And then I got really mad when I lost my ticket. So I just sat in my truck and I was like, well, I guess I'm not getting in. And then my buddy Brent, who lives in Florida now, just comes walking down the hill in Cincinnati and he goes, look who I found. And it was the sax player from the band and his name's Steve. And he was like, so can I listen, sit in your truck and listen to some of these reggae CDs I bought? And I was like, yeah. So we just sat there, hung out shooting the shit and then he goes so your buddy told me you lost your ticket and I was like yeah he goes come with me so he walked nice. me in backstage and I had a camera on me and he pretend walked me in as taking photographs for him and I got right in front of the stage no ticket or anything so, very nice yeah they're really nice guys That's and what band is that again the RX Bandits the RX Bandits mm-hmm. and that's the band that you got to come play in mm-hmm. your town yes how did you do that how did... uh I can't remember exactly how it happened, but it really came down to our friend Brent. Uh, Back in the day, he was really adamant about trying to get bands to come there because he was really into that. And somehow... Was this like the MySpace era? Yeah. Okay. And somehow he was able to get a hold of their booking agent. And after talking to them extensively, he finally convinced them to come play. Did okay. you guys have to like draw up some contracts with the venue I think he, and them? And I think all that he did stuff? have to draw up contracts because I remember us uh, going to talk to our friend Andrew. Uh, his dad is a stockbroker and knows about, all about contracts, so we had to get all that worked out. But we got him to come play at this very small venue, which probably could only legally hold about a <laughs> hundred people. But I had to guess because. All the people that we knew, like my brother's friends and younger people that we knew, all knew this band, and probably 200-some people showed up at the show that night. You couldn't even move inside. So. Wow, was that? Yeah, it was fun. What is your title at AOC? My title is Production Coordinator. Production Coordinator. And what does that mean exactly? Uh, handle setting up uh, productions, maintaining equipment. Uh, I teach the editing classes here, some of the studio classes, and... Um, little bit of engineering work maintaining the field kits and that type of thing somewhat around festival international it gets really busy what is a day like for you at aoc if you had to like pick a day and just walk through it uh typical days walk in and um immediately check online reservations check the box for reservations enter all those in 
then go to Facile, the database, and look and see if there's any equipment checkouts for today and get those ready, uh, prep all that, then usually a little coffee break, and then <laughs> finish up any editing or talk to Ed about anything that needs done and just kind of go on from there. Anything that needs done throughout the day, just do it. Right, and even though you made it like very simple and clear there, the process of like, you talked about Facile, which I'm sure a lot of people don't. It's sort of a specialty thing. I'm sure some mm-hmm. of our members know about Facile as in like a, a sort of yeah, they, thing off mm-hmm. in the ether that <clears throat> makes all the decisions mm-hmm. or whatever. But we have a meticulous process, including database entry and a lot of data mm-hmm. entry. And that's to make sure that equipment is distributed fairly, right? Yes, correct. So that whoever reserves it first yeah, gets it Whenever first. they put the reservation in, first come, first serve, always make sure that it's turned in 16 business hours before your pickup. Business hours are 9 to 5. And basically, the way they come out of the box, that's the order that I enter them. And same way online, because online it will come in in a list, and mm-hmm. I just put them in in that order. Right. So. And so, yeah, it's first come, first serve. Mm-hmm. And also, we want to make sure that a lot of people get equal access to the equipment. Exactly. So one person doesn't get all the equipment all yes, the time. and correct. That sort of stuff. So if you're ever wondering why it's so mm-hmm. meticulous and why there's so much whatever, there's really not a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot to do to get into this process. Yes, what is your background in production or like what led you up to a- working at AOC? Uh, what led me up to it was when I lived in West Virginia, I did my undergrad in communications at West Virginia State University. Originally, I was supposed to be a business major. And then uh, when we went for initial orientation and scheduling, I saw how many math classes and stuff like that I was going to have to take. And I was like, yeah, well, this isn't going to (laughs) happen. And then um, I always liked watching movies and interested in making TV and how all of it works. And then I noticed they had a communications program and filmmaking classes, TV production, advanced film, advanced TV production, animation, all that sort of thing. So I was like, I'll sign up for that and see what it's like. Sounds much better than a list of maths. Yeah. (laughs) So I signed up for that. And... uh, Got my uh, undergrad degree, and then I was like, ah, they have a master's program. I may as well keep going. So did the master's program, uh, did a 20-minute short film for my thesis that I wrote and directed. And then my uh, fiancé is going to UL for her uh, doctorate in English, in folklore. So she had moved down here, and I was finishing up my um, master's. And then I moved down here because they allowed me to, they were going to allow me to Skype in my defense. So then I moved down here to be with her. And then I was just looking for a job. And then one day, out of all the websites I was checking, I happened to find the listing on uh, Craigslist. Nice. And uh, it said they needed production help and be teaching editing classes. And I was like, yeah, that sounds interesting. May as well try for it. Who knows what'll happen. And then Ed emailed me like a day later. He was like, hey, if you want to come in for an interview, you can come in. Came in, and then at the end of the interview, he offered me the job. He goes, go home and think about it, though, but you got the job if you want it. I was like, okay. So that's how I ended up here. Um, Do you have a favorite story, and what is it? A good one is, and this comes from grad school, is... um, uh, at one point in grad school, we all had to do short films for one of our uh, production classes, an MS500 class that was a lot of theory, but at the end you had to make a film. 
And uh, at the time, one of the guys that was in school, Jan, um, he was a sound guy. He was an exchange student from Prague, decided he wanted to do this um, short film based off a Kafka story that uh, I think the Kafka story is called Let It Go. And he wrote a little script to go with it and everything. Mm -hmm. But him and uh, someone that's a very good friend of mine who lives in Nashville now, Mike Sunstricker, who has his own production company there called Casting Life Films, got all of us in the department together. And they somehow convinced Kodak to give them a couple reels of 16 millimeter color film. Whoa. So it was one of the only times we all got to shoot on film. And we shot his... I think it, the final product ended up being about five minutes, maybe. Wow. But we spent two days shooting it. The first day was, uh, there was a guy in town. Um, his name's Maxwell. I can't, Doug Maxwell, I think is his name. And he actually owned an Aerie 16 millimeter from back in the day. And he was kind enough to let us use it as long as he was there as assistant camera operator all the time. And he, uh, we also let him run cause it was his gear. So we shot part of it at his house, which he allowed us to do. And then the whole next day on Saturday, we spent probably 24 hours shooting all the outside scenes. Me and Mike went down early and did the lighting design and rented really big two can or 2K can lights, had them hanging off buildings in an alley that we rigged up, had a 4K um, HMI light at the end shooting blue light down, went down the whole alley and just shot as much film as we could and shot the whole thing. And it was probably one of the best shooting experiences I've had. That sounds great. Yeah, it was, it was a fun fun. time. So what, uh, I guess if you were to look back on that, that set that you guys created now, is there anything you would change about that? What you did that day? Just, I'm guessing that was a big learning experience for everybody. Uh, probably managing our time a little better and we would get in little arguments about how to do stuff and it could have been done a lot quicker. Just choosing camera angles and some lighting options. And also if, because it wasn't just supposed to be me and Mike the whole morning setting it up. Uh, basically, we're the only ones that showed up for crew call, and then everyone else showed up for shooting call. <laughs> so we were a little pissed off about that. That but, would make you pissed yeah. off. Uh, what um, was it? I'm guessing that it was a much higher stakes feeling shoot because of the film. Oh, yeah, because you were shooting on film and you did not want to waste it. Even though they got it for free, you didn't want to waste any of it. Right. So every time we would rehearse, because we shot the whole, um, the were walking down the alley towards the camera. So uh, Maxwell also had a real steady cam rig. And Kevin Scarborough uh, ran steady cam and had to walk backwards with a real steady cam and airy 16 millimeters. So at the we would rehearse it numerous times and then it got to the point where there was one person devoted that as soon as the shot was over, well two people, one person grabbed the camera off the rug and the other just slid a chair under him so he could collapse because he was getting so tired from wow. running it. Yeah. It'll wear you out. Yeah. That's so crazy. yeah. There's a it's there's actually a documentary of Funny thing is, Mike made a documentary of us making a five-minute film, and the documentary is like 30 minutes long, but it's on YouTube. <laughs> so, And his cut of uh, Clockdown, because there was two cuts of the final product, 
and his cut is on his YouTube page. And then Jan's might be on his YouTube page. I don't know, but the director also did his own cut of it. And you said it's called Clockdown? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so we would look for Clockdown and the making of Clockdown mm-hmm. on YouTube? Correct. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing with us. Thank Skip. you. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. some of the upcoming workshops at AOC Community Media. At orientation, discover the benefits of joining AOC, all that can be done at AOC as well as how to successfully reserve the use of AOC's resources. A brief rundown of the studios, editing lab, and portable equipment available is included in the orientation. This free workshop is a prerequisite to reserving any of AOC's portable equipment or facilities. AOC's next orientation will be April 7th, 2015 at 6 p.m. After that, we'll be having an orientation on April 16th, 2015 at 10 a.m. You can sign up for either one of these workshops online at aocinc.org. Uncle Eddie. Pay attention here. This is information you can use. Uncle Eddie's Media Minute. Today I want to tell you the difference between a reporter and a repeater. Uh, People typically, people particularly of my age anyway, uh, tend to think of the guy behind the desk and now it's a lady or a gentleman behind the desk who's reading you the news as something we used to call a reporter. And that implied in our minds and the way we consume their media was that they were telling us something that they knew that was based in fact and that they were uh, highly reliable in, in their reporting telling us what they what they knew to be a fact and nowadays we have people in the same position they sit in the same place they deliver the same way they look well they don't look the same they're a whole lot more females and if you're a blonde female uh, a very good likelihood people will think you are a reporter uh, but I would beg to differ with the reporting versus the repeating those uh, those kind folks, as earnest as they may seem, are not telling you anything they know to be a fact at all. They're merely telling you what somebody else is telling them to tell you. They have writers, they have editors, they have reporters who are closer to the action, uh, and those reporters are not reporters, they're also repeaters. The witnesses are repeating what somebody uh, may have uh, told them or what they, they think they saw, and then they repeat that to somebody who repeats it to a reporter who repeats it to another reporter. Each of those people will repeat it to another reporter, which makes all the people in the middle just repeaters anyway. Uh, they can really, really pretty much just one reporter that's 100% accurate, uh, and that would be the person who experienced it. And then after that, people are just repeating what somebody else told them, what somebody else saw. So when you got your talking head and you think they're reporting, they're not. They're repeating. And that repeating may or may not be factual. This has been Uncle Eddie for an Uncle Eddie's Media Minute.
The AOC Podcast is produced by AOC Community Media. This week's episode was hosted and edited by Matt Roberts. Contributors include Ed Bowie, Deborah Duyon, Joe Boozy Ferguson, Nancy Judice, William McFarlane, and Stephen Skip Shannon. AOC Community Media is located at the Rosa Parks Transportation Center, 101 Jefferson Street, Suite 100, Lafayette, Louisiana, 70501. For more information, go to our website at aocinc.org or call 337-232-4434. You can also email info at aocinc.org with any questions you may have. Until next time, keep yourselves informed and engaged, community.